Let us pray. Oh God, may your word speak among us and call us so that we might go and live your good news of love. Amen. Oh boy. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Amen. And now we'll have the hymn of invitation. Before I dive into this happy topic, I figure I better tell a couple jokes to kind of uh, cool some people down. And of course they're funny, because all my jokes are. There was a newlywed couple that woke up one morning, and they're on their honeymoon, and the, and the man suggests, he says, Darling, why don't you go brew us some coffee? And his wife looked confused, and she said, But that's your job. And the husband says, now wait a minute, why is brewing coffee my job? Well, she says, it's all over the Bible. And the husband says, oh, come on, honey. There's, the Bible says nothing about who's supposed to be brewing coffee. So she pulled out one of the Gideon Bibles that was in the motel room and started flipping through it and showing him. He says, it's everywhere in the Bible. Hebrews, Hebrews, Hebrews. <laughs> I know, just amazing. The wife is sitting at home and she says to herself, you know, it's been raining for days now and my husband seems very depressed by it. He keeps standing by the window staring. If this keeps up, I'm going to have to let him in. I hope you can keep that same humor as we look at our text today, I could have skipped it. In the lectionary, which is the suggested readings that's been used for centuries in many churches, they skipped this text. And I could have done that, and maybe I should have. But I decided to take it on anyway. I just hope that I survive it. Now, what we read this morning in this relationship between husband and wife is just one part of a more complete reading that involves three different units and all three of those units make up what is known as the household codes. Spelling out the roles of behavior for each person in the household. The first is the one we read today, husband and wife. The second is parent with children. And the third is master and slave. Now here's what the reading says that follows our reading today about the parent and child relation. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the second one. And the third one is master, slave. And I'd like to read that one. That follows the one with parent, child. Slaves. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as you obey Christ, not only by being watched while being watched and in order to please them, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to men and women, knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether we are slaves or free and masters. Do the same to them. Stop threatening them. For you know that both of you have the same master in heaven, and with him there is no partiality. 
Now these household codes that we find in Scripture isn't just in Ephesians. Paul also writes about it in the book of Colossians, and it's also found in the book of 1 Peter. Now I'd like to suggest that there's been a long history of abuse in how the church has interpreted these texts, these household codes. For instance, in the matter of the relationship of master and slave, in the early 1820s, and even more so as the time of the Civil War came in our nation, American ministers, especially in the South, defended the institution of slavery using this text as well as others to point out that, for one thing, that Paul does not condemn the institution of slavery, and for that matter, neither did Jesus. And further, the Ephesian points out that the slave is supposed to obey the master. It said, with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as you obey Christ, render service with enthusiasm. So the argument that was in favor of slavery pointed out quickly this text to defend chattel slavery. Now today, we may look in horror at how people before us interpreted this text, although racism is still alive and well in the life of the church. And of course, this household code that we read today has been abused as well. Women have been told throughout the centuries that they are lesser than men. And by taking such verses as what we read today with other verses such as women should be silent in the church, the church has often made it clear that women do not have any place in the leadership of a congregation. And of course, women aren't allowed to preach. I'm guessing that many of you perhaps grew up in churches like that. I know I did. And furthermore, these texts of the husband is the head of the wife and such has been used and is still used to belittle the role of women not only in the household, but in society in general. And I've seen it in experience used over and over again to guilt women into going back to spouses who have abused them. What might we say about this text today and these codes that we read? Well, for one thing, these codes do not originate with Paul. They are part of the common practice of that day in the Greco-Roman culture, in the households of that day. Now in the Greco-Roman household, this household code was known as pater familias, which is Latin for father of the family. And in this household, it was headed up by the patriarch, the male head of the household. And this household was seen as a microcosm or a miniature version of society in general. Now the male was very much in charge over what went on in the household and frankly, the male could treat everyone else in the household however he felt like. The wife came next, but she was really far down on the totem pole and not really more important than the children or slaves. This male authority was important not only for the household, but also in the society. Because in that society, and I've said this before, in the structure of that day, it was very hierarchical from, from top to bottom, like a pyramid. You had those on top, and then those below, and then those below. And the ones on the bottom were always 
uh, doing things to curry the favor of those on top and vice versa. In other words, it was a very strict ordering in society and the household was seen to be as an expression of that society. Life in the household was a lot different than we might understand the household. Marriage between a man and a woman really wasn't about love very often. It was more about the economic and political advantages that it might gain for the husband and also for the father of the bride. The wives were essentially the property of their husbands. I was reading one place from this scholar named Gordon Fee, who's a, a very well-known scholar. He uses this illustration to kind of demonstrate how life in the household was. The most important time of the day, of the week, would be the meal time. And when it became time for folks to sit down to eat, the wife was never allowed to eat with the men, with the male husband in the house and those friends, his men friends that would come and eat with him. If the wife was allowed to actually sit down with the men, she had to sit at the very end. And as soon as she got finished eating, she had to leave. The reason why she had to leave is because the men folk had conversation that they needed to carry about, which was probably the reason why they were getting together in the first place. And of course, women, well, they didn't matter. So they needed to go. That's kind of how much of the household was about in that time. Again, let me stress that that was the common practice in that day, in the day of Paul. Paul was not writing this originally for him, from him, but it was something that he is adapting. He's borrowing from what he knows. And of course, the church has responded to these codes and really in a couple different ways. One is to pretty much fully adopt it, to recognize that the man is the head of the household, however that gets interpreted in a nicer way, perhaps, than how the Greco-Roman household was seen, but still very much the man on top. Many others have just totally dismissed these texts as irrelevant, as not binding. Some folks have just totally wiped out the whole notion of Paul and all his writings because of this and other things that Paul says. And as tempting as that might be for me, I think there's value in what we read today. See, Paul, when he writes, he pretty much adopts much of the common practice of that day. And here's why I think why, and a lot of folks would back me up on this. When a person became a Christian, they said that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus was Lord, Jesus was God, and therefore by saying Jesus was Lord, that meant that Caesar was not Lord. And that was going to get these Christians in trouble. Obviously it would get them in trouble because it got their, the founder and perfecter of their faith, Jesus, it got him in trouble. It got him killed. So these followers of Jesus who would come and proclaim Jesus as Lord and not Caesar and who would look for the kingdom of God to come and not the kingdom of Caesar, the kingdom of Rome, that would get Christians in hot water with the powers that be. And many scholars suggest that by Paul laying out a very similar notion of what the household was about in those days, it was an attempt to kind of 
not add on to the things that might get Christians in trouble in that society, if that makes any sense. That basically Paul realizes how much Christians are going to get in trouble with the, with the powers because of who they are. I mean, Paul's writing this from prison, after all. And he's trying to share with the church ways that they can be church without adding on to the misery that Rome could impose on them. Even if, though, that is true, Paul does speak of the household in a different way than in the Greco-Roman households of the day. And the way that Paul does that is he ties all of these relationships to the relationship with Christ. We see it right away in our reading, even though very often this verse gets forgotten and the next verse gets remembered, that wives submit to your husbands. But right before that it says, Be subject to one another out of reverence, for Christ. Because of your relationship with Christ, be subject to or be arranged under one another. Now, such a, and, and arranged under is a literal translation of that Greek. Being arranged under or being sub, subjective to want to be subject to one another was, was just unheard of in that culture because it was a strict hierarchy. The people on top never submitted to those below. And so Paul is speaking against the common practice by saying be subject to one another. Of course, that is something that would be expected of all Christians in all places to always be submitting to one another. Because after all, our confession of faith is to Jesus as Lord. And this way of this Jesus is a way that Jesus taught and it demonstrated in his own life. Jesus who said things like, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be last and a slave of all. Jesus, he's the one that took a towel at his last supper and washed the feet of the disciples who would soon run away from him. And then after he said that, he said, This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. And by love one another, it is that agape love that is all through the book of Ephesians. Agape love, God's self-giving love, God's love that God has for all people, regardless of who they are, regardless of how they respond. That is the love that Paul is talking about for us to share with one another. And in the text today, he's talking about it in the relationships within the household of mutually submitting to one another. I started my sermon with a couple jokes, and actually a couple of y'all giggled. To prepare us for these household codes and this whole wives be subject to your husbands and husbands is the head of the wife. But it's not a laughing matter the way that the church has condoned the hierarchy of who is over who when the author and the perfecter of our faith is the one who came to abolish all of this notion of who is higher than who else is lower. And when the husband is loving the wife with the same love that Christ has loved us, 
And when the wife is loving the husband with the same love that Christ has loved us, these household codes that were practiced in the times of Paul, they're going to erode because they cannot stand to be anything other than a hierarchy of who is in charge. And of course, it's not just about the love between two people in a household. It's in all relationships. Because all of us as Christians are called to practice that same agape love that God shows us in our homes, with our children, and all the places we go in our lives. And the more we practice that agape love, the more the world will see a small glimpse, a small glimpse of how much God loves all of us. And thanks be to God for that grace and love. Amen.